1: afternoon and welcome to the soul. It's always wonderful to be with you on a Wednesday afternoon. And today is a special day in the Jewish calendar. Today is what's called Shushan Purim. Um, so yesterday we celebrated Purim here in the diaspora. And, uh, it's interesting to note that there are uh, two different days that Purim is separate, is celebrated. And the one is the 14th of Adar. So uh, within the Purim story, we know that, um, Haman, he Um, he got permission from Achashverosh to destroy the Jews and uh, he was very powerful in the time. Uh, We're talking about the year 368 before the Common Era. The Persians were the dominant superpower in the world and they controlled an empire of 127 states and as it says in the Megillah, mihodu Kush, and they... Wanted to. Um, yeah, uh, what happened is that Haman drew lots. He was happy or Pur, and as a result of drawing the lots, he came up to the day of the thirteenth of Adar would be the day when him and his supporters, supported by the royal treasury, who would be very paid very handsomely to carry out the decree, would murder all the Jews. Would um, that would be an extermination of Klai um, Israel of the Jewish people. It would be a holocaust, the first holocaust and uh, so we know the story of Purim and how Mordechai and Esther got the Jewish people to reconnect to Hashem there was a terrible gezeria, a terrible decree against the Jewish people and um, because they were nene Nehemi Suda, social Oiso they enjoyed the Suda, the banquet of the Rasha of of a banquet in which the kalim of the base Hamikdash, the vessels of the temple were brought and were displayed, um, in order to display the power of the king of Persia. And the Jews were there. The Jews had Mahadran food, they had kosher food, um, and they participated. And for the first time in Jewish history, the Jews saw that one could have a life outside of our covenant with Hashem, a life without Torah and mitzvahs, a life in which they could be just like the Babylonians, and no different to the nations of the world, as they said to the prophet Yeskel they said in Israel, like all the nations of the world will the Jewish people be and of course Yerekel said that that is not possible. Hashem appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Tell them that circumstances are going to be as such that they will see they can never be like the nations of the world, and that the Jewish people are unique, the Jewish people are different, and the Jewish people have a divine mission to fulfill when we Turn away from that When we turn our backs on that So even if we don't choose to be Jews The non-Jews will show us that we're Jews They'll show us that we're different They'll show us that we're not the same as them And there, and um, consequently The decree Of the king Which was perpetrated by Haman Is issued And the Jews face annihilation And extermination on the 13th of Adal What happened was We, we know the story of Purim where things turned around miraculously, miraculously, that Esther intervenes and she comes up with a brilliant scheme um, in order to win the favor of the king and turn the king against Haman. She was a very perceptive woman and she understood and saw that Haman had these aspirations to take the throne for himself, and so after Mordechai told her that she – well, we're going to talk a little bit more about Esther a little bit later, she, she comes up with the scheme and things are turned around and the wrath of the king of Ahasuerus is turned against Haman and he is hung on the gallows that were meant for Mordechai. And um as a result, um during this process, so Esther and Mordechai uh, – Esther says to Mordechai, tell the Jewish people to fast on the 13th of Adar, and that's why – on Monday, which was the 13th of Adar, and the Jewish people fasted. It's a fast day for us in remembrance of what Esther and Mordechai did. And it reminds us the great power of fasting, the great power of crying out to Hashem. We have the ability, even if we detached ourselves, to reconnect to Hashem in a very significant and powerful way. Through our fasting, it's called Debrei Tzomas V'tzah Akos. Through our fasting, And through our crying out We can reattach ourselves And that's how the turnaround takes place That's what the um, the reverse happens And that which Haman wanted to do Actually happened to him And so the Jews are successfully galvanized And um, as a result of um, Haman being hung on the gallows So there's a new decree Now they couldn't cancel the old decree A decree that was issued with the seal of the king The king actually gave his seal to Haman so that can't be reversed, but a new decree was made that the Jews could defend themselves. And there's a civil war, and tens of thousands of people are killed, and the Jews successfully defeat the forces of Haman, the forces of Amalek, and they're victorious. Now, this takes place on the 14th of Adar. Um, however, the beginner tells us that in Shushan, which was the capital, so the, the fighting, the battles went on for extra day. They continued until the 15th of Adar. And so the Megillah wanted the, um, celebrations of to, uh, because there was an extra day, um, they could only, um, celebrate the, the war was won and was over only on the 15th of Adar. And therefore the celebrations took place then in, in Shushan. So they wanted there to be a difference between Shushan and other places. In other words, to remember that, you know, that it was one in the other place on the 14th and it was one in Shushan on the 15th. So, um, Shushan was a walled city. So the Gezerah, the decree was that any walled city should only celebrate Purim not on the 14th but on the 15th like Shushan. But the rabbis didn't want to set the rule based on Shushan because at that time um, Eretz Israel was destroyed and the Jews were in exile. And to base it on a city outside of Israel would be um, a embarrassment to Israel would be belittling the importance and the relevance of Israel. And so um the the Gomorrah Megillah says, it's the first mission in Megillah, it says that um the the standard was set, the Halacha is that any walled city, not from the time of the Purim story, which was three hundred and sixty eight for the Common Era, but rather from the time when the Jewish people entered the land under Yahushua. Any walled city from that time celebrates Purim on the fifteenth of Adar, if the city was not walled from the time of the conquest of Yoshua Ben-Nun. So then the Purim is celebrated on the 14th of Adar. So therefore, of course, here in South Africa, the, um, at the time when Yeshua entered into the land, um, certainly there were no walled cities. Um, so we all celebrated Purim yesterday, which was the 14th of Adar. But in places where there were walls around the cities at the time of Yeshua's conquest – so they will celebrate on the 15th. So such examples are Yerushalayim yer Hakodesh. So um, two of my children are living in in Yerushalayim, and so yesterday they went to friends in Ramat Beit Shemesh outside of Yerushalayim. So there was Purim on the 14th out of Yerushalayim, but today is Purim inside Yerushalayim. So those in Israel they have two days of celebrations, if they choose to go out of uh, Yerushalayim or where, so then they'll celebrate then inside Yerushalayim. They're celebrating today, which is what's called the 15th Adar Shushan Purim. Um, and other places which also um, would celebrate Shushan Purim are Damascus, which was walled at that time. Um, there's a question whether Yafo was also walled at that time. And uh, some say Istanbul as well. And um, there's a question, as a Suffolk, whether it was walled at that time as well. So there are a few other examples um, as well in, in the ancient world. Um, and actually some say Tiveria as well. Um, okay, good. So that's Shushan Purim. Today is Shushan Purim. So since today is Shushan Purim, I still want to share some very important and relevant messages and lessons that we learned from Purim, which are Purim happened back then, um, two and a half thousand years ago, but Purim happens today too. And we see those patterns and those messages of Purim repeated in our world today. And we're going to discuss them in a moment when we return.
0: This is focus on our sages with Rabbi Danny Saxstein on 101.9 High FM.
1: Discussing today's Shushan Purim. Yesterday was Purim. I'm sure many people are recovering from yesterday's celebrations, and such a beautiful, magnificent time—a time when we celebrate God's miracles, a time when we celebrate the. Um, incredible events that took place two and a half thousand years ago but those patterns certainly repeat themselves and we see Purim wasn't only then but Purim is now also. And there are three main um, aspects that I want to share with maybe we will have time for a fourth one at the end but let's uh, start with the first one and that is we see that there is there was an individual called Haman and Haman was somebody who Wanted to destroy the Jewish people. Haman was—he uh, had a, an issue with Mordechai. Uh, Mordechai being the leader of the Jews. Mordechai referring, uh, refusing to bow down to Haman. Says the Gemara he had an avorazorah, he had some sort of idol worship that he wore around his neck, and therefore Mordechai refused to do so. And Haman then—he um, was the first individual that, based on one Jew, wanted to destroy all the Jews, and he has these. Um, Terrible accusations against the Jewish people And unfortunately we see That those accusations Are something that Repeat themselves through the ages As it says in the Haggadah In every generation They stand um, To destroy us To destroy the Jewish people And we wish it weren't the case And that it wasn't actually The reality of civilization But it repeats itself in every single generation. Those anti-Semites rise up and want to destroy the Jewish people. Now, of course, we don't talk about it because we want to be victims and we want to complain about how hard our situation is. But as Jews, I think it is important that we realize and acknowledge that this reality is around us and we have to act accordingly. Um, and even, unbelievably so, even in our modern day, our progressive world, In the 21st century, in 2023, we see that anti-Semitism abounds, and the classic anti-Semitic accusations of this group that are not loyal to the country, that are not loyal to the place that they are, that have their own ways and their own customs and their own language, that are disproportionately represented in the economy, they're a mortal danger to... The country that they're in to the republic. So that's a common anti-Semitic accusation, which of course is not true and of course is not fair. And Jews, wherever they are, are usually very productive and they are, contribute, um, very successfully to the place that they are, to the prog- to the, um, development of the country that they are um, in always. And Jews are usually very loyal to The host country that they find themselves in, but unfortunately, um, we we have these um, accusations thrown at us constantly. It's all the way back to Egypt. If we see with Paro, so Paro said that there's this big country and they, uh, the big nation that they spread all across our own country, and they pose a greater danger to us. so you know, let's let's look at Hamani in our day, in our modern world. We see in the United States Congress members of Congress um, making very clear anti-Semitic comments and accusations, and uh, pretty much getting away with it, not having much of of um, a response to that. We see the leader of the opposition um, in the United Kingdom, Jeremy Corbyn, is an open anti-Semite. Um, and he continues to, to speak in such a way um, as Rabbi Sachs said, uh, Rabbi Sachs of blessed memory, when he addressed the House of Lords, he says, first we were persecuted because of our religion. And when then when the world became more secular, we were persecuted because of our race. And now we persecuted because of our state. Um, so unfortunately... Haman is very much around and alive, and the FBI, the FBI um, has stated on many occasions that the most hate crimes that are committed in the United States en- annually are against Jews um, by a long way. So we see that um, anti-Semitism is alive and is real and very, very much around. And the United Nations General Assembly last year in 2022, they passed 15 resolutions against Israel, and 13 resolutions against the rest of the world. There were more resolutions against tiny little Israel than against the whole rest of the world. So Israel is so guilty of human rights violations that there are 15 resolutions against. It's just unbelievable the hypocrisy and the bias and the anti-Semitism that comes out of the United Nations. It's really crazy yeah? when we look at, you know, the amount of states which are. Um, Autocratic and which are dictatorships and which there's uh, horrific human rights abuses and the world is quiet. The United Nations is quiet. You don't hear anything about Zimbabwe, do you? Which is a, a complete humanitarian crisis and one of the greatest crimes against humanity and many, many um, other states where it's like that, but there's not a word. But Israel, there's are 15 resolutions against Israel. So we see the bias is clear and it is open. And uh, here in South Africa, too, we see the South African government buys into the narrative that in Israel there's apartheid uh, that is um, being perpetrated against the Palestinians. And when one looks at it carefully and when one looks at it with an objective mind, one sees that it is absolutely wrong. There's no comparison to what went on here in South Africa um, with apartheid and with the oppression against the black um Members of South African society, the black people, um, which was a a terrible crime against humanity, is very different to the situation in Israel. It it, it hardly resembles it in any way and uh, very clear to see that both the situations are incomparable. Um, And unfortunately, though, this lie is perpetuated uh, by many governments of the world, including uh, our own government here in South Africa. And so we as South African Jews also have to keep our eyes and ears open and realize that anti-Semitism abounds. Um, I suppose I'll wriggle Achas on one leg. One can tell the difference that when apartheid ended, so the uh, the great hero of the South African people, Nelson Mandela, led us into an era of peace and an era of reconciliation, which was just uh, his greatness is is, um, difficult to describe. Uh, Nelson Mandela was a very unique individual And we are very blessed in South Africa to have had him To lead the country Um, But no such thing can possibly happen In Israel because There's no commitment at all To put the weapons down As they say If um, the Arabs put their weapons down So there will be peace If the Jews put their weapons down in Israel There will be annihilation and extermination The Jews will be killed So unfortunately we don't have a genuine Peace partner to talk to and Israel always has and always will want to make a genuine peace in the area, as they've done successfully with many of their neighbors. And today we see with the Abraham Accords um, successful peace agreements with many of the Arab states. And there's nothing Israel would want more to do that with the Palestinians. But unfortunately, the Palestinians won't stop until they destroy Israel. They're not wanting to live in a... Uh, Two states with uh, that respect one another in which there's peace, in which there's harmony, in which there's um, friendship uh, in order to build a better life for their citizens, that they won't stop until they've killed Israel. We see that very clearly in Gaza when um, the uh, Hamas came into power. Hamas received a lot of aid from uh, many different countries around the world, billions of dollars, and all of – not all of it, but the vast majority of those funds – go into terror and into attacking Israel, and not into building schools and building hospitals and improving the plight of their citizens, but rather to attacking Israel. So that certainly is the case over there. And uh, unfortunately, the Jewish people, we have to keep our eyes open. We we Although we would wish that there's no more anti-Semitism, and that Haman was a thing of the past and ended with the... Uh, end of the Holocaust and World War II, but unfortunately it's not the case. And so when Hamas and when Hezbollah and when the Palestinian Authority and when the Iranians say that they want to wipe out Israel, they want to destroy Israel, they want to obliterate Israel from the map of the Middle East, we need to understand that they're very serious about that. They're not, they're not joking. They're not pretending. And, uh, Haman is very much present in the world today. And the Jewish people, certainly in Eretz Israel, need to defend themselves against such threats and need to ensure that they don't allow for any further exterminations of the Jewish people to take place. Okay, so that's the first lesson, lesson and it is quite a bitter pill to swallow, but it is a reality of life in the world and uh, of um, the situation of the Jewish people. Okay, so let's move on to another very important lesson that we learn from the Purim story and that is Esther Esther is a uh, base Yaakov girl who gets spotted by Akashverosh's agents brought to the palace and forced to be a part of this pageant which was designed to find a new queen and she is the one of all of the thousands of women that um a could choose from and are brought to him, Esther is the one that is chosen, which is, you know, clearly the hand of God and Hashkacha Pratis. And Esther's in this unique position where now that there's this terrible decree of Haman to wipe out, to exterminate the Jewish people, Esther perhaps could do something about it. And her uncle, Mordechai, sends her a message and says, this is your opportunity to save your people. This is the reason why you are there in that position. This is your chance to make a difference in the history, in the destiny of the Jewish people. And he says to Esther, Mordechai sends the message to Esther with the very, very powerful, life-changing words, Ki that if you remain silent at this time it's of the Megillah, that salvation and um, redemption will arise for the Jewish people from another place. So Murachai says to her, if you don't step up, so God will save the Jewish people. We have promises In the prophecies That Hashem The eternal one of the Jewish people Will live up to his promises That the Jewish people will never be wiped out We might be damaged, we might be harmed, we might suffer Terrible things as we have in our history But we'll never be completely wiped out So Mordecai says Hashem will save the Jewish people Hashem Hashem will bring our salvation From some other means If you don't choose to do anything If you choose to remain silent you choose to not rock the boat or create any waves. Hashem will save us some other way. But you and your father's household they will be lost forever. he Who knows if it was for this moment that you became queen. For this opportunity that you could save the Jewish people. Maybe this is why you are in that position, why Hashem put you there. And so that is a, a very powerful lesson for all of us, is that Esther thought about that. Esther, of course, was frightened. She was frightened for her life. She was married to this uh, megalomaniac. Maniac. He was a very unstable character um, and very volatile. One never knew quite what a would do, um, he was an alcoholic, and uh, Esther knew that if she went to him with a request, and he didn't find favor in her request, so she would be killed, just like Vashti was, the queen before, was killed. You know, as Mel Brooks he had a line, he says, "It's good to be queen, it's not so good to be." It's uh, good to be king, it's not so good to be queen, and that's very true for the kings and queens of ancient times. Is that the king had all the power, and the queen was very much. Um, in a dangerous situation every day of her life. And so Esther knew this, and she was very frightened and very reluctant to do anything because of the danger. But Mordecai said these words, that if you remain silent, salvation will come from another source, and you will be lost. You will be forgotten. Today, how many hundreds of thousands of Jewish girls are named Esther? Esther is remembered as a great heroine, as a great... Person In the history of the Jewish people And it's because she took her opportunity And because she stood up And because she was a Jew first Everything else would follow later But she was a Jew first And that's what drove her And made her She decided that she would actually do something And she came up with a very brilliant and elaborate plan Which thank God was successful And that led to the salvation of the Jewish people and so we all need to ask ourselves: Are we Jews first, like Esther? Is that our first priority? Is that what we drives us, and we will act on that? Or are we something else first? Are we South Africans first? Are we socialists first? Are we um, pro-abortion first? Are we do we stand up for other things and other causes which are more important to us? Are we, you know, business people first, or are we Jews first? So that's a question we all need to ask ourselves, and we all need to realize that we are in a position, and we have a influence and a situation and circumstances which Hashem has given us, which is due to our choices that we've made and the situations we find ourselves in. And do we use those situations, those positions, those spheres of influence? with the approach that first I'm a Jew and that's my main priority and that's I'll do all I can in order to contribute to the Jewish people or is that something that's secondary, something that's, that's on the back burner, something that's insignificant in my life, in my mind, in my world? And also are we teaching our children that being a Jew and playing a part within the Jewish people is something that comes first in our life? Or is it something that's not important to us, something that is secondary, something that doesn't have that much relevance or significance? And our kids know, our kids see, our kids understand very clearly from our actions what our our priorities are. And there's so many examples in Jewish history where when Jews do not put their Judaism first, they put it last, so then they don't last. So then they don't remain Jews. How many times have we seen that in Jewish history? Um, the Jews of Spain, with the expulsion of the Jews of Spain, so there are 250,000 Jews that did not leave, and they became conversos, and they uh, converted to Christianity. They didn't want to leave their businesses. They didn't want to leave their properties. They didn't want to leave their, their connections. And today, none of them are part of the Jewish people. They assimilated and disappeared. They're not there anymore um, in the... In the 19th century, how many Jews were Austrians first, were Hungarians first, were Germans first, were French first? And their Judaism fell away. They do not exist anymore. They and their descendants are forgotten. They are not a part of the Jewish people and a part of the Jewish story. And so we need to learn from Esther and rise to the occasion and always remember that our first priority is that I'm a Jew. I'm part of the covenant with God, and it's my responsibility to contribute in any which way I can to the development of Jewish people. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment.
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Sachstein on 101.9 High FM.
1: We're learning important lessons from Purim. Today is Shushan Purim, the 15th of Adar. Purim celebrated in cities that were walled from the times of Joshua Binun, nun like Yerushalayim and And so um, yesterday were the grand celebrations of Purim. Today uh, other places are celebrating Purim. And uh, so we are reflecting on important lessons we learned from the Purim story. We discussed Haman and the fact that Haman is not only something of the past, but he very is very much around in our world today. Um, and we discussed the great outstanding leader that Queen Esther was and how she put the Jewish people first. She put herself in danger in order to try and save her people, try and um, uplift the plight of her people. And uh, when Jews don't do that, as we've been saying, So then usually we find that they fall away and they don't become a part of the Jewish story and they and their descendants are forgotten to the Jewish world. Um, That's why we have a beautiful custom within the Ashkenazi custom is to name after somebody who's passed away. The Sfadi custom custom is to name after somebody who's still alive. But we name after somebody because their name still lives. They're still relevant. They're still part of Klay Yisrael. They're still part of their story. And the destiny of the Jewish people It's a very beautiful, powerful thing And so we should all make a great effort to do so So there are many examples in Jewish history Where individuals have um, Made themselves Put their Jewishness first And not lost, And uh, as a result Have had a great impact in place Perhaps one of the great um, Examples of this Is Eddie Jacobson Eddie Jacobson uh, You might have heard this incredible story um, He was a very close friend and actually business partner of Harry Truman. And, uh, they ran a haberdashery store in Kansas, Kansas City. And then Truman uh, went into politics and eventually he, he was the vice president. And after President Roosevelt died at the end of World War Two, so Truman is now appointed, is now becomes the president of the United States, which is an incredible thing. And, um, after World War II, so there was a lot of great, many, many attempts of the Zionist movement to get as many votes as they could. Um, in the United Nations, they needed a two-thirds majority uh, in, in order for the resolution to be passed. Of uh, There was a recommendation made by the Peel Commission, by the United States, about, about other United Nations commissions about a partition of Palestine. And that was brought to the General Assembly. There needed to be a two-thirds majority in order for that to be passed. Um, that took place in November of 1947 in Flushing Meadows, the the, the vote, and um, so the Zionist movement put in a tremendous effort to get those two thirds votes. It's the only time in the history of the United Nations where the Soviet Union, the Eastern Bloc, voted the same as the United States. And that's in, in which is incredible. It's Hashkocha, Hashem's hand very clearly at play, and one of the significant. Events that ensured that would take place, that the United States would support um, the voting for the uh, for Palestine for Palestine to be partitioned, there would be a Jewish state and there would be a, an Arab state, was the um, was the meeting of Truman with Chaim Weizmann. Now, um, the the as I mentioned, Zionists were very active, and Truman they tried to get to Truman. And Truman got sick and tired of all of these attempts, and he was fed up with it. And he refused to meet anybody about this issue any further. Uh, and the uh, time of the critical vote was coming, and they couldn't get to Truman, the Zionists. And the only way they thought they could get to him was through his Jewish friend, Eddie Jacobson. And they said to Eddie, um, you know, you've got to go meet with him. He won't meet with us, but he'll meet with you. And convince him to meet with Chaim Weizmann. And so Eddie makes an appointment with President Truman. And um, he said to Mr. President, I only have one request of you. He was his best friend. He was his business partner. They were very close. He could have asked him to be ambassador to South Africa. He could have asked him for anything um, that would work in his favor. The request he makes of his dear friend, the President, he says, please will you meet with Chaim Weizmann, please do it for me. And Truman was, uh, it's written in the biography of Truman that he was very angry and he said, Eddie, this is a underhand move and they got to you and it's through you that they're getting to me, but I'll do it for you, my friend, and I'll meet with Weizmann. I'll, I'll do it out of our friendship. And so he was a loyal man, Truman, and he, and he agreed because his good friend asked him. He met with Weizmann, it was supposed to be a 10-minute meeting, it ended up being a two-hour meeting, he was very moved and very impressed with Weissman and with the story of the Jewish people and the way it was put to him. And he said to Weissman, um, I will certainly support the, um, the, the, uh, you, 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 the, the, uh, partition plan and the vote of the United States will be with you. And, uh, one of the first countries to recognize Israel as a state when it was declared was the United States. So that's one story where Jew, stood up. Uh, Eddie Jacobson was not an observant Jew, he was not a practicing Jew, but he realized that this was his moment to do something for the Jewish people, and he stood up to the occasion, and he did so, and we will always remember him for this incredible act um, that he did on behalf of the Jewish people. So he was an Esther in our time, and we all, in our own, may not be so dramatic and so earth-shattering of you know, convincing the United States to support Israel, which is a massive thing, but all of us in our lives have our role to play and need to put our values of being Jews first and everything else then follows. And that is the sterling example of Queen Esther. Please stay with us. We'll be back in a moment.
0: This is Focus on Our Sages with Rabbi Danny Saxton on 101.9 High FM.
1: Close this afternoon with one of the most powerful messages that we learned from Purim, on today's Shushan Purim and that is that we see that of the 24 books of Tanakh so we know that the Tanakh stands for Torah, Nevi'im Ksuvim, the Torah is the five books of Moses, Nevi'im is the books of the prophets and the Ksuvim are the writings they make up what we call the Bible and that's called Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ksuvim um, there are 24 books in Tanakh which are regarded as the written law, the written Torah that uh, God has given to to the world. Um, so in these 24 books of the Bible, the um, of course God's name is mentioned in all of the books of all of those 24 books, save one. There's only one of those books where God's name is not mentioned, and that is Megillah's Esther. And the reason for that is that when one looks at the Megillah, And one sees the different events that took place. And we discussed them actually last week in quite a lot of detail from a historical perspective. So one sees what seem to be regular events that are occurring in a kingdom, in a superpower, and regular circumstances of the Jewish people who are in exile. But when we see all of these events in unison and we connect the dots, we see Hashem's hand is clearly there. God's fingerprints are everywhere. And that is the story of the Megillah. Although, that's what we call Hester Panin. That's why it's called Megillah's Esther. Because Esther means hidden. Uh, it means that although God is there, God's presence is hidden. And we, so the Megillah's Esther took place after the destruction of the first temple. Um, I mean, 368 before the common era. And that was when prophecy was no longer a part of the world. God removed the power of prophecy from humanity. And that which meant if there was a prophet, so you could clearly see supernatural things going on. The first place of Mikdash had 10 miracles that were happening every single day. You just had to visit. You saw the miracles. So you you had any questions of faith they would be resolved just by visiting the temple. And that's why there was a commandment to visit the temple three times a year on the Shalosh Regalim. But all of that ended with the destruction of the first temple and prophecy ended. So now the rules of the game changed. And the terms of engagement were that although God is very much there, we have to find God. We have to see God. We have to connect the dots and see God's presence in our lives, in the world, in in everything that's around us, which is not that hard to do. One just has to open our eyes and see the unbelievable perfection of the world we live in, the conditions that are required for living organisms on this planet, and thousands and thousands of variables that have to be exactly perfect, which are not perfect on all the other planets. Um, And therefore there's no living organisms, as opposed to Earth, which God designed perfectly. And we look at the sophistication and the um, design of everything around us. And that cries out so powerfully and so loudly that there must be a designer, that there must be a creator, that there must be a purpose to our existence and to the life of every single soul that lives in the world. So one has to look for it, and then one can clearly find it. And we see that so powerfully in the story of the Megillah, that all of these seemingly random events that are normal occurrences in the life of a community, in the life of a kingdom. But when they are all put together as they are in the Megillah, clear that there is a hand behind the scenes that is orchestrating events, that is that is setting them up in a particular way, that is taking us to a destination, to a goal, which was the salvation of the Jewish people. So that's the story of the Megillah. And we are all supposed to write our own Megillah in our lives. And we see what seems to be random, regular events in our lives are also God's hand leading us, putting us in certain places, putting us in certain situations. We're born to the family we are for a reason. It's not a coincidence. We look like we do. It's not a coincidence. We have the abilities and the opportunities that we do. It's not a coincidence. It's all part of God's plan and God giving us, our, giving our soul the opportunity to achieve what's supposed to, to achieve its on in this world, to try and live a life which is connecting to spirituality, which is connecting to God, which rises above the mundane uh, physical and material existence in this world. And it's all, it's not considered, it's all tailor-made. Our life, our situations, our circumstances are tailor-made to what our soul needs to go through. And by writing our own Megillah, we see how God's hand, just like it was very present, and orchestrating events in the story of Purim, it's the same in our own personal lives. So we all write our own Megillah, both on a national level and on a personal level. And we see Hashem's presence, we feel Hashem's closeness, we understand Hashem's involvement in everything, and we, and therefore that inspires us and drives us to live a life in which we connect with God, in which we follow God's commandments, in which we Follow the framework of the Torah to rise above the physical, mundane, material world and live a life of holiness and of self-control and of spirituality. That is a very beautiful, powerful message that we learn from Purim, which we should all be implementing in our everyday lives. Thank you so much for listening. Have a Frelichin Shushan Purim and have a wonderful day.